0: I'm excited this morning. We, uh, I get to introduce to you a powerful new sermon series that we are going to start today, um, and it is called Holy Week, one day at a time. Starting today, we are going to look at the seven days, the eight days of Jesus' life from today when he makes his entry into Jerusalem, all the things that he does until the, the The day where he lays his life down and dies, is killed. And what happens on the next day? Some interesting things. And then the next day he comes back to life. And so one Sunday at a time, we are going to walk through these eight days. And we are real excited. Um, So God's plan from the very beginning is that Jesus would be sacrificed during the Passover feast. Do you understand this? Does this make sense? Have you studied the Passover? Because the Passover is a prophetic foreshadow that God designed to point all of us to Jesus. At Passover, what happens at Passover? Well, the first time, God said, I'm going to rescue, rescue you from Egypt. I want you to sacrifice a lamb and put the blood on the doorposts. And so that the angel of death that is going to come through Egypt tonight would pass over you, And so God saved them through the blood of the lamb. Sound familiar? Right? And now at the Passover feast every year they sacrifice a lamb. Just like God did when he rescued them from Egypt. And now Jesus is coming like a lamb to be sacrificed. To save all of us from something much bigger than Egypt. Right? From our sin that separates us from God. It destroys our relationship with him. Remember what John the Baptist said one time when when he saw Jesus? He said, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. What a weird thing to say. Unless you understand how this all fits together with the Passover, right? Jesus is ready to die and pay for our sins so that our relationship with God can be restored. That's what these eight days are about. Huge. I don't know if there's anything bigger that's ever happened in the history of the universe, right? The theme of Passover is that God is a rescuing God. And He rescued us once, and He'll do it again. That's the theme. And so in our Scripture story today, Jesus stands on the Mount of Olives, poised and preparing Himself to go do what He's going to do. All right? So on a Sunday... A week before Jesus comes back to life, Jesus makes this grand entrance into Jerusalem. You're going to have to work today. Today is one of those Sundays where if you kind of lean back and just kind of, oh, Paul, just feed it to me. This is not one of those I'm going to spoon feed you kind of sermons, right? You're going to have to lean in. You're going to have to get out your Bible, which you should do right now. Um, If you have a place where you can take notes, there's a lot of scripture that's going to come at you. And you might want to write it down so you can go maybe look at it again later. All right, you ready? So let me give you some background on the things that are leading up to what's going to happen today on the Mount of Olives. So this is back when in John chapter 6 when Jesus feeds the 5,000. Matt taught about this a few Sundays ago. and It says, After the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force. What does that mean? What would that look like? They're going to come and make Jesus king by force? I mean, that's what it says. Jesus saw that they were about to make him king by force, and so he fled and went to a solitary place and prayed. Right? But what they're going to pick him up and carry him to Jerusalem and like put him on the throne? Maybe. But there is this thing in Jesus' ministry where he does things and people start to see who he is and are filled with awe and worship him and they are so stirred they're they are going to make him king. That was a thing. That was happening during Jesus' ministry over and over. Today we're going to see that that actually happens, right? But it's been happening Another place, Luke 19, Jesus has this encounter with with Zacchaeus, and it says, while they were listening to Jesus talk with Zacchaeus, Jesus went on to tell them a parable. Why did he tell them this parable? Because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was about to appear at once. So there is this thing, when Jesus gets close to Jerusalem and starts to do and say these things, people start to go The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is here. Something big is happening. The kingdom might all of a sudden just appear when Jesus comes into Jerusalem. This is a thing that's been stirring in people's hearts. People have been wondering about this. And then, just a day before this, in John chapter 12, Jesus is at Bethany, which is only about a mile, a mile and a half from Jerusalem, where Mary and Martha and Lazarus live. And he arrives there on a Saturday, right before the Passover. And he's anointed with this really expensive perfume by this woman. And people start getting upset at this woman because she just wasted all of this really expensive money on Jesus. And Jesus goes, leave her alone. It was intended that she would, she would save this perfume for the day of my burial. And then it tells us this. as meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there in Bethany, and they came, not only because of him they didn't come there just because of Jesus, but on account of him, um, but also to see Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so there is this stirring that is happening. All these people who are coming to Jerusalem for the Passover have heard that Jesus is just over the hill, and so is Lazarus, who he raised from the dead. And what is happening? We have to go see this. And so is, there is this stirring of the crowd, this buzz. Did Jesus really bring, people, bring Lazarus back to life? we got to go see. I want to go see where this happened. I want to go see Lazarus. And there is this stirring. And the crowds are starting to celebrate Jesus is king. The crowds are starting to worship him. The crowds are starting to be in awe of what they are seeing and hearing. So that is what is leading up to this story today. So turn with me to Matthew 21, which is where we're going to walk through this story. You see a map. So you see Jerusalem over here on the left and the temple. You see that little, that little triangle in the middle, kind of top right? That's the peak of the Mount of Olives. And then on the other side of the Mount of Olives, there's this place called Bethphage, and there's this road that goes down to Bethany. All right, so it's all happening in this little space, some sacred ground you're looking at right there. It says, as they approached Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples, they came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. And I need you to understand the magnitude of this spot. Do you understand the magnitude of the Mount of Olives? Have you studied the scriptures? Do you understand what you're looking at? What happens on the Mount of Olives? Well, today, Jesus is going to ride in to Jerusalem as king. That's what we're about to look at. What happens next on the Mount of Olives? Jesus comes back to life, and 40 days later, Jesus leaves this Earth. He ascends back to the Father. And where does that happen? Right here, at this very spot. And then some time is going to pass, and we don't know how long it's going to take, but Jesus is going to come back a second time. You know this? And when Jesus comes back a second time, where is he going to come back? Right here. This very spot. All of this coming and going of Jesus happens in this very spot. Listen to what it says in Zechariah 14. This is about Jesus' second coming. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. And on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. Because when Jesus comes back a second time, he's coming real different than he came this time, right? He's coming this time as the lamb who is going to lay down his life. The second time he comes, he is coming as a lion to fight, and to take charge and make everything right. Listen to what it says in in Revelation. This is a kind of a symbolic picture when Jesus comes back the second time. Real different than a lamb. You ready? I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse. Remember a white horse. Real different than a donkey. A white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. And with justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean, And coming out of his mouth was a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, for he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of Almighty God, and on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's how he's coming the second time. I want you to see in contrast that to how he is coming the first time. Both are real important, right? And I wonder, as Jesus is standing here on the Mount of Olives, I just wonder what he's thinking about. Because he's standing on a really important place where a lot is going to happen. And I just wonder, what is he pondering as he's about to do what he's about to do? Let's go back to Matthew 21, end of verse 1. Then Jesus says to two of his disciples, he said to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there. It's weird. You will find a donkey tied there and her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them calls himself Lord. The Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. So Jesus has a reservation for a donkey. (laughs) Right? We don't know how this reservation happened. Did did Jesus make this plan ahead of time? Or did did the Holy Spirit send a message to the guy who owns the donkey that somebody's going to come and get it, and it's important, and let him have it? We don't know. But somehow Jesus has arranged really intentionally for this donkey to be available to him on the Mount of Olives. Does that seem strange to you? And as they, So they're going to wait there. The, the story kind of pauses. They're going to wait for however long it takes to go get this donkey. And, and I wonder, again, what, what are the disciples thinking as they stand there? There's, there's these crowds building. There's this excitement in the air. There is a buzz. And I wonder what the disciples are making of all this. And and I wonder if they're saying to themselves, Jesus is going to do it. He's going to do it. He's going to finally do it. He's going to march into Jerusalem and proclaim himself king. This is going to be awesome. Because that's what's happening. There is this stir, right? Right? And I also wonder what, I wonder what Jesus is thinking about. As he sees the crowds, and people are worshiping him in ways that we don't see like they've worshiped him before. Does it soothe his heart in some way to see the crowds worshiping him in mass? I don't know. But, but his mindset, I know, is he, he is preparing to die. Like he knows exactly what's about to happen four days from now on Passover. This has been the plan since the beginning of time. So I wonder what's going on in his head. So the di- disciples, they went and did G- as Jesus had instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their, their clothes and their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And then it says this important thing. It says, this took place to fulfill was spoken through the prophet. And this is what it says in the Old Testament. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy about the Messiah from Zechariah nine. I don't know how many people are catching this, but scripture tells us really specifically the disciples didn't remember or understand the scripture. So they're real confused about the donkey still. (laughs) I wonder if the disciples are saying like, what is going on? Why does he want a donkey? Why does he want to ride on a donkey, especially like a little adolescent young donkey? This is ridiculous, he looks ridiculous. I mean, huge man. On this little tiny donkey. You get a picture in your head of how, I mean, his feet are almost must be hitting the ground. As I was, as I was thinking about this and preparing, the, what came to mind is that E-Trade commercial from a while back, you know, and the little two-year-old boys in the crib, and he's got his hands on the thing, and he's like, I'm in timeout. Because, I guess... A boy riding a small dog is frowned upon in this establishment. (laughs) Remember that one? That's what I flash back to. What's, What's happening here is that Jesus is publicly acknowledging that he is the Messiah. And riding on this prophetic donkey, as strange as that seems, is his declaration of that. And if you understood the Scriptures, you would see that this is what Jesus is doing. And eventually, it says the disciples figured this out after Jesus came back to life. So Jesus asked for this donkey intentionally, right? He sends for it. He doesn't just come upon it. And so there's a plan here. He was intentional because he wanted to give people a vis- I mean, the reason the prophecy is there is that it's there to give the people a visual picture of what kind of king is coming this isn't a triumphant king like Alexander the Great who rode into Jerusalem in 332 B.C. on a war horse. Right? Conquering king, victorious. This is a king who is coming humble. See, your king comes to you humble and riding on a donkey. Jesus doesn't walk into Jerusalem. He rides like kings ride. So catch that. He does ride, but he's coming in it to be a real different kind of king, a humble, sacrificial king. Incredible. This is not what kings do. There's no king like this. This is not what kings do. This is the kind of king that we have. Jesus is saying, I'm a a powerful, but in a very sacrificial way, because there's no greater love than he who lays down his life for his friends. There is no greater loving king that would be willing to sacrifice himself for his people. Because this time around, Jesus is not coming as a man of physical war. He's coming as a man of spiritual war. That's what this week is about. It's about a spiritual war and a spiritual victory. Because donkeys, play, make, they, they paint quite a picture, right? They are slow and stubborn, like me. And like many of you, oh, no amens. Yeah. Okay, all right. And so, just get this picture. You know, like back in Christmas, you know, God coming to Earth, and we find Him in a feeding trough in a manger. God in a feeding trough comes to us, lowly and humble. And now we see God riding on a donkey, gentle and humble. God at our level. The donkeys are the working, that's the working animal of the working people. God on a working animal. God with us in such a truly human way. Can you feel that? He is so on our level. I don't know who called this the triumphal entry, but it is not a triumphal entry. It is a humble entry. It is a humble entry. I mean, what a contrast. See, God, look, your, your king comes to you. That is a powerful statement. Humble, gentle, and riding on a donkey. That's what this story is about. So verse 8, it says a very large crowd. I mean, we're, I think we're talking about thousands of people because the whole country comes to Jerusalem for the Passover, right? That's why there's so many people here. So thousands of people have spread... They spread their cloaks, their coats, on the road. And while other people went and cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, why are they doing this? Here's a picture. So the, the Dome of the Rock, that was where the, the temple would have been. And that hill behind it that goes up, you see that tower at the very top? That's the tip of the Mount of Olives. So this is the front side of the Mount of Olives, and then over on the back side, you go down the other side, and you go to Bethany. But down this hillside, covered with people, they make a path. They make a path with their coats and with tree branches, and it's like the red carpet. It's like our our modern day red carpet, and they make this path, and it's like we honor you we bow down to you. We want to make the places where you are soft with our, with our very jackets and coats and these tree branches. They're honoring him and worshiping him like, like you would a king. When the king comes to town, this is how you would behave because you're submitting, you're honoring. It's a five-star welcome, right? Maybe like a championship parade, If you ever been to a parade where the team wins the championship and then they come back to town and they enter into the town and people do what? They line the streets. And there's this like frenzy of excitement and glory and honor. Maybe I would argue worship. And it says, verse 9, the crowds that went ahead and those that followed. So the crowds are surrounding him. Ahead and behind, they shout, they're shouting things. And what they're shouting is real important. They're shouting, Hosanna to the king of David, to the son of David. Where does the Messiah have to come from? From the line of David, right? They, are, they understand this. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they're saying. That's real tied to Passover, right? Because part of the Passover feast, I'm not going to go in this too far, but part of the Passover feast is a child goes and opens the door during the Passover feast. And what do they yell out the door? They're wondering if this is the year that Elijah and Messiah are going to come. And they yell out the door, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're waiting for the Messiah to come in the door. This is what they're going to do in a few days in Jerusalem. And so in the streets, they are yelling, Blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord. You see how powerful that is? Hosanna to the highest heaven. Hosanna is this word that literally means, Please come and save us. But it turned into this, this expression of worship. where They're not necessarily saying that, but they're worshiping with Hosanna in the highest heaven. They are openly worshiping Jesus. You know what Luke tells us in Luke 19? It says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, notice they don't call him rabbi. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why Why are the Pharisees wanting Jesus to rebuke them? Because they're worshiping him. And the Pharisees can't take that. They can't understand how this could be God. But it is. You know what Jesus says? He says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will start to cry out in worship. In other words, there is so much big things happening right now, and the people are worshiping, and they should. And if they don't, the very creation will start to worship what is happening right now. Because that's how big, in the grand scheme of history, is what is happening right now. The God of the universe is entering Jerusalem to save the world. And heck yeah, people should be worshiping me. It's one of my favorite lines of scripture in John 12. It's a little subtle thing, but... So the Pharisees said to one another... I would have loved to have been here for this conversation. The Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Look how the whole world has gone after him. What a line. Oh, I love that. And on this day, that seems to be true, doesn't it? It says in verse 10, it says something that kind of captures how big of a moment this is. It says, When Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Now, the word stirred is not a very powerful translation because the Greek word literally is where we get the word seismic, like earthquake. So when he goes into Jerusalem, the whole city is quaking. The whole city is shaking with excitement. And here's amazing. It says the people asked a question. You know what they asked? Who is this? Who is this guy? That's the biggest cosmic question that we must all ask ourselves and that you must answer. Who is this guy? Who do you say this guy is? What's your answer? How do you answer that question today for you? Is Jesus God in the flesh? Do you believe that? Have you repented of your sin to God and asked Him to forgive you so that He can have a relationship with you again like He designed you to have? Have you repented? Have you let Him become your Savior? Not the crowd, you. Have you decided? What have you decided? If you haven't, Decided, and talk to the Lord about that. Do it today. Talk to the Lord. Go, Lord, I believe who you are, who you say you are, that you are the Messiah. You are the Savior. You are my Savior. And I confess to you, I'm a sinner. I don't, I don't have a relationship with you. That's what sin actually is, is a lack of relationship. It's not just the bad things you've done. Lord, I don't have a relationship with you, and I want one. So will you forgive me? Will you come and have a relationship with me? During our worship, there's going to be people on the sides that are there to pray with you. If you want to go and and have somebody pray with you and you you can give your life over to Jesus, go pray. Do it today. If If you want me to pray with you or one of the pastors come, I would love to pray with you. So on this day in Holy Week, this Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem, and he teaches us something about his love. What is Jesus teaching us about his love? It's this, that Jesus cares more about you and your life than he cares about his life. Can you believe that? That's how much God loves and cares about you. Because he's going to go and lay down his life for you. He loves you more than anything. Because there is no greater love than he who would lay down his life for you. A loving king who pays the price for my sin and your sin. Your sin. What a king. What a sacrificing, loving king. friends grasp on to God's love for you grasp onto it take hold of it see it feel it grasp it take hold of it he loves you so much and i wonder if you understand that i want to challenge you with one other thing um i want to i want to ask you do you understand the scriptures do you understand the scriptures are you studying the scriptures as you live your life are you trying and being intentional about trying to understand them like every sunday we are here and every sunday we study the scriptures together right we have these things called life groups and life groups meet every week and or every other week And one of the biggest things they do is they get together and they study the scriptures together. Not in somebody teaching from up front, but but in a circle where you get to discuss and ask questions and wonder, and how does this apply to my life? Are you studying the scriptures in a life group? We have this amazing discipleship program called The Ultimate Journey, where for months we get together and intensely study the scriptures and try to apply them to our life. Are you studying the scriptures at that kind of depth and intensity? And so during Lent, sometimes we talk about we need to lay something down so that we can pick something else up. We don't just like give up chocolate to like be, make ourselves our life painful, right? That's not what, that's not what Lent is about. Lent is about setting something down so that you can pick something spiritual important and important up. And so I'm wondering, I'm going to challenge you a little bit. What keeps you from being here every Sunday? Are you here every Sunday studying the scriptures with us? And maybe during this Lenten season, it's time to put down whatever whatever it is that keeps you from not being here to study the scriptures. Put that down and come every Sunday and be here and study the scriptures with us. So you can understand them. What keeps you from from being a part of a life group? What is it? What keeps you from being in a life group and studying the scriptures with a group of people? And maybe it's time for you to set down and put down whatever it is that gets in the way of doing that. And just decide, I'm going to go start visiting some life groups. And I want to be a part of one. Maybe it's time. Not many of you have gone through the ultimate journey. Is it time for you to set down whatever it is that keeps you from making that big commitment of of coming and studying the scriptures for several months together with us? Maybe it's time to put down whatever whatever it's keeping you from making that commitment and going on this journey where you can understand the scriptures and apply them to your life and take grasp, grasp hold of God's love for you. Is it time to to put some stuff down so that you can be here every Sunday, so that you can be in a life group, so that you can go on the, the ultimate journey? Because God wants you to understand the scriptures. He gave them to us to show us who he is. He wants you to understand the scriptures so that you can take hold of his love for you, which is so deep and wide and long and high. Right? Let's pray together.